The bottom line of Chavav Amidbeis. It's an interesting Gemara. You have to realize what this Gemara is about to explain is purely halachic. It's not giving advice, meaning from a practical standpoint, it's the halachic aspect. The, Mishnah, the Gemara says, Amr Shmuel, Yisa Adam Duma, Val Yisa Bas Duma. You should marry a woman. It's be- Again, both are not great. Let's just make that clear. It's better to marry a woman that's a good person. If you have a choice of a Duma, a Duma is a woman who has a bad reputation herself, meaning she has a reputation of maybe being with Goyim, maybe when she was married she uh, had an affair. You have her who has a bad reputation, or her daughter, who doesn't have a bad reputation, marry her. Why? This is purely halachic. The Gemara is saying, is because think about it, if you have a woman who might have lived with Goyim, might have committed affairs, She's obviously not a good person, but there's no halach, she's not a psul. It never disqualifies her, but her daughter could be a mamzeris. And if you're a kayin, she could be from a guy. And if you're in Yisrael, she could be from a guy. The point is, because she was not faithful to her husband, her child might be a mamzer. So I'd rather marry her, even though she's got this bad reputation, because at least she's halachically clean, meaning even if a woman commits an affair, does a non big avera? Okay, doesn't affect her halachic status. She's still you're she's still a basi Israel. You can marry her. Her daughter might be a mamzeres because if she's living with people and she's married, you don't know who her kids are. Her kids might be from a, from a, a mamzer. So it's better to marry a duma, which is a woman with bad reputation. But don't marry her daughter, even if her daughter is a mamish shekabik tzadegis, because her daughter halachically could be possible. That's the first opinion. Because at least the woman, although she has a bad reputation, you know she's kosher, halachically. But the daughter might be a psul, might be a guy, might be a mamzeres. You don't know. That's the first opinion. Again, obviously, it's better to marry neither. Okay, It's better to marry a kosher woman who's a good person. But if you have a choice of a bad reputation or a good reputation, but might be a mamzeres, I'm going to stick with the bad reputation. Rav Yechim disagrees. He says, no, Yisa Adam Bas Duma. I'd rather marry the daughter, Val Yisa Duma, Shezu Eimedes Becheskes Kashers, Vezu Eino Eimedes Becheskes Kashers. Rav Yechim disagrees. Rav Yechim says, Rav Yechim and Shita is, Kol Bi'ilos Acharabal, which means that although a woman might have done Averis, and she might have lived with Goyim, and she might have lived with people while she was married, halachically we assume that the child is from the husband. So therefore, the child is kosher, halachically. Even if you know that she was promiscuous, you could assume that the child, again, she might have, but you could assume the child is kosher. <coughs> and don't marry her because she has a bad reputation. What is the bad reputation going to do? Besides for it's not good. Think about it. You'll marry her. What's she going to do? She's going to have an affair while she's married to you. She'll be a saita. There's an isa deraisa for you to be with her. Right? Meaning, and even if you never warn her, but if she is mezana with someone else, you're not allowed to be with her. So it's an iser. So if you marry the daughter, she's a kosher woman, so she's not going to do anything bad while you're married. I maybe she's a mamzeris. You're allowed to halachically assume roiv bilas acharabal. You're allowed to go with roiv, and the roiv relations that she had was with her husband. So you could assume the child's not a mamzeris, but don't marry her. Because although you know she's kosher, what's going to happen? She's going to mizana with someone while you're married, and then you're not allowed to be with her. She's probably not going to tell you. So you're going to be over lavim. That's the Gemara says. Because that's the aside, Rav Yechanan holds, Rav Bilos Acharabal. So Rav Yechanan is saying, is marry the daughter, don't marry the mother. 
we have a kasha, duma. The Brisa clearly states, marry, you should marry the, the, the mother, not the daughter. So how could Rav Yechelen disagree? Now, this Lashon of the Brisa is a little funny. It says, Noisei, Noisei is l'chachila. It says, you should l'chachila marry the mother. So says Rav Yechelen, Amr you're asking me a kasha from this Brisa. Let me ask you a question. Is this Brisa such a good Brisa? It says, Noisei l'chachila. Would anybody tell you that this woman is l'chachila a good option? Nobody thinks it's a good option. This is a question of which is the best of the worst. No one would actually think that either of this is a good option. So the Gemara says, so Rav Yechelen says, this b'risa is flawed as it is. V'tizbra, noisi l'chachila. You're going to go with this b'risa and you're going to ask a kasha me. But the b'risa says you should marry the mother l'chachila. But the l'chachila, no one would tell you to marry. Elamai, you have to change the lashon. Imnasa, you have to change it from noisi instead of noisi l'chachila to imnasa. If you married, it's fine. So once you're changing the b'risa anyway, so change it to the daughter. Once you're willing to change the b'risa, change the b'risa. So you see that it's a machlaikas. If you have a woman who's committing uh, adultery, do you assume that the child is a mamzer? Or do you assume the child is still from the husband? So it's a machlaikas, Rav Yechanan, and Shmuel. So v'hilchasa, what's the halacha? Yisa adam bastum, you should marry the daughter. Val yisa duma, don't marry the mother. Meaning marry the daughter... Because although the mother might have committed uh, adultery, whatever, you could assume the child is from is not a mamzeris, is from the father, is from the husband. Even if a woman commits adultery, the children are kosher. Because you could assume it's roiv, roiv goes from the husband. The only way, according to this, it would be a mamzer, the only way you could have a mamzer, according to this opinion, is if you know that she's, she did not live with the husband at that time. I, I just want to make it clear. You could still have a mamzer, according to this. The case is, the way you have a mamzer is either one of two ways. Either Roiv relations was with this guy and not the husband, or if she wasn't with the husband at all. Right? You know, she, she, the husband's overseas, and then nine months later she's pregnant. Okay, that's a mamzer. But if, you, if, if, if you're not sure, you can go with Roiv. And Roiv goes from the husband. Okay. Now here's the kasha. What if she's mamish mezana, like really parutz? So you don't even have rave anymore. So then, what's the halacha? So the gemara says, well, what's the kasha? So it, it seems like this. The, even if it's rave, well, let me do this without like being weird. Let's say she was mezana with the other guy ten times a month, and she was mezana with her husband, lived with her husband twice. So you'll say, well, okay, go statistically, you know. But you deal with pregnancy. Knows that? No, let's say that she tells the Besden, or the Besden, if they find out somehow. So you're going to say, well, okay, so mom's are, right? Kids are mom's because you go with Rive. But it's not really a Rive. You're trying to figure out pregnancy. So what if there's a machlekes in the Gemara, what is the most likely time for a woman to become pregnant? Because I'll tell you why. If let's say you know there's two days a month that the doctors say these are the days that she's ovulating, she'll, she'll become pregnant these days, then the husband just has to make sure that she's on it during those two days. The other doesn't really matter. So the question is basically like this. When is the time where, is there a time where the husband, we know medically that she'll probably become pregnant because then the husband, if he knows that information and he knows definitively when it is, then he could just make sure she's not Mazana those days of the month. And then the other days don't matter regarding the statistics of is the kid a mamzer. So it seems to be a machloikas, when is the time where a woman really become pregnant? Um, 
either it's around the time where she's ovulating, in which case you're not going to really know because it's not like you, you don't have a calendar, what are you supposed to do? But, or the other opinion of the Gemara is when she goes to the mikveh. The day after she goes to the mikveh, that's the time. So if that's the case, then you could argue, I don't care that she's mizana, much more time she's committing adultery, much more times against the husband, but as long as he knows when, then maybe he could guard and make sure those two days you stay at home. In which case, the children are not mamzer. That, that's the Gemara's kasha. So the Gemara says, There's an opinion in Gemara Nida that she's most likely, the one opinion is she's most likely to give birth right around, uh, right before having her period. So if that's the case, huh? Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, to become pregnant. So then if that's the case, because the husband doesn't know that, there's no way for him to stop her. He doesn't know when that's going to be. I mean, and it changes from month to month for some women. And he's not, we, we don't assume that a guy has a calendar to Akedekach. So if that's the case, then there's no Shaila. Loi Tiboilach is not a Shaila. The kids are Mamzerim. Why? Think about it. The majority of the times this month she lived with a guy, not her husband, and she's married. That makes a Mamzer. Ah, you're going to say, well, he'll make sure that the time where she's likely to conceive, he'll make sure that she's with him only. The problem is he doesn't know when that is. So if a woman will likely uh, become pregnant right near having her Vesta, having the period, then there's nothing for the husband to do because he doesn't know that, so he can't even stop her. And then you just go with statistics, and if the roiv is that she's living with another guy, then the kid's a Mamzer. The whole shaila is It only works according to the opinion that holds that the day that she goes to the mikvah or the next day, that's when that's when uh, that's when she's going to conceive. So, because if that's the case, then conceptually, if it's around the mikvah, if it's uh, thirty hours after going to the mikvah, again, it's a sugya neither not for now, you know the details of it. But if that's the case, then then the shaila is my. What's the halacha? Do we say that because he knows when she can become pregnant, he'll make sure those time periods she's home and she's not going to commit adultery? Or perhaps no. If you're dealing with a woman who's majority of the month not with her husband, uh, there's no trust is out the window. Teiku, we're not 100% sure. So in those cases, we would not know whether the kids are mamzerim or not. I guess... Uh, you'd have to be machmer and only allow the kids to marry other mamzerim. And that's, uh, I, actually, I actually have no idea. What, yeah, because then also because then they could be. You know what? Uh, he's going to answer. I don't know. That's, that's a good question. No, no way. No way. There's even a shaila you should know amongst the modern day paiskim whether you could use paternity tests regarding purely from money perspective, right? For Yerusha. Right, there's a shaila who the father is. Could you go with paternity tests? Not even negay these halachas. This is negay arayis, where you need like edus. Like paternity tests won't help. But like, even regarding paternity tests of figuring out who the father is regarding Yerush, regarding inheritance, is a machlekes and paiskin. The Tzitzliyaza is an interesting shita because he says that the Gemara says in Nida that there's three shutzpin by a person, Baruch Hu, the mother and the father. The mother gives the blood, the father gives the bones and the marrow, and Baruch Hu gives the soul. That's the Gemara says. So it's like a drasha Gemara. It's, it's, like, 
she uses it literally that the blood is from the mother. So you can't use the blood for the paternity test. I, I mean, I'm sure he has other chashmites because he was also like a very, very medical uh, medical paisik. He was not someone you know who didn't understand he was the paisik for Sharitz at the hospital. But anyway, point is, even for paternity tests, which are scientifically proven to be something, the paisikim are not into it regarding Arias. So definitely not. You wouldn't be able to go by what the person looks like. Um, you're going to see in Nida, we'll get to Masechus Nida, what a child looks like can also be affected by the thoughts of the parents during relations, at least from the perspective of the Gemara. So I don't think it would, uh, you know, it would just mean other things, but it wouldn't mean that she's having relations. So the Gemara says like this, Tan Rabban and Ish. Now, just to finish up the, the daf, we said that the word Ish, Ish, there's an Ish, Ish extra by Sota. So Tan Rabban, we already have this, that the word Ish, the extra Ish, is to tell you that Bezdin has the rights to warn if the husband is incapacitated. So Tan Rabban and Ish, Ish ish. It could just say ish. Why does it say ish ish kisish to ishtoi? Why does it say the extra ish? Lerabos ish is chayrish ish shota ish shimum. V'shaluch balin dinis ayam v'shichavish v'sasurim shebezim mekamlan apoysim ksuvasan. That all those people, the bezin will warn. And again, the accomplishment of the warning, the first Tanakama believes, is not to make her drink, but just to disqualify that she forfeits her ksuva. Yochalaflashkoi. So you might think, why can't she drink? Meaning. The Bezdin warns her while the husband is in prison. The husband gets out, let the husband take her. Meaning, Bezdin can definitely not take her to the Beis HaMikdash. You definitely need a capacitated husband to take her to the Beis HaMikdash. But the husband's available. But he didn't warn her. But so what? Let the Bezdin warn and let him take her. What's the problem? It says, meaning that it's the husband... Vehevi, the husband brings her. Vikina, that the husband, the Gemara is going to make a drasha, that the one who brings him has to be the one who warns. And it can't be two different people. So you can't have Bezdin warning and the husband bringing. Therefore, due to a technicality, she doesn't drink. Rav Yossi disagrees. He says, Aflash Kosa, why can't they, she drink? Because she eats it by Mishkana. Well, they warned, he brings. What's the problem? So what's the machlekes about? Micah mythically, Rabbanan Savri Banan Vekina Vehevi. The Rabbanan Darshan and the Vekina in the beginning of the parasha, Vehevi end of the parasha, meaning it has to be done by the same person. So because Vehevi has to be brought to the Beis Hamikdash by the husband, Vekina also has to be done by the husband. And because the husband didn't warn her in this case, unacceptable. Rav Yaisi Savri Vekina Vehevi. And the Rav Yaisi disagrees. He says, no. Why can't it be two, by two different people? Okay. So the other cases, they would have to get healthy. His one is, it's the, the jail case is more obvious because then he just literally leaves prison. You would need the guy who became a Shota to get healed. Or you need the eye guy to, the, all of them, they would have to be healed. But yes, conceptually, he would be okay. The other ones, it's just very unlikely. Now, we had this three days ago that the Gemara said, it says, Isha Tachas Isha, the woman went astray from her husband, woman to husband. The Gemara said, to make a hekish that the halachas, the husband and wife have to have similar halachas. Now, three days ago, it was, I think, of Shabbos. So someone asked, what does that mean? So I said, the Gemara said, it'll explain a daf This is where the Gemara explains. Meaning there are certain halachas that the husband and the wife have to be very, very similar. In what regard? So there are technicalities that don't necessarily make sense to us, but they're l'maylam and hadas. There are certain technicalities that a woman does not drink, I'll give you an example. If she can't speak, she could be fully sound, but if she's mute, she can't be a sota. Why? Because the pastor says, Amra ha'isha amen, amen. She has to be able to say amen. She can't say amen out. If, uh, you know, if, if there are certain halachas that are physical melodies that, melodies that she's out, the halacha is the husband has the same way. 
Meaning, the Gemara explained. Lamai Hilchas says this. I think there's three halachas. Amrev Sheshes Keshem Shem Husuma Lohei Mashke. The halacha is if the husband is blind, she can't drink. It's a special rule. If a husband is blind, she can't drink. Why? Because the pasuk says Venela Meini Isha. It says that she did it outside of his eyesight. Now, obviously, it doesn't. Literally, it means he couldn't. He didn't see what was going on, which implies he could see. Again, if the husband cannot see, if the husband's blind, she's not a sota, rather the marriage is off. The halacha is to make a hekish, just like if the husband is blind, she doesn't drink, so too if she's blind, she also doesn't drink. Because then she's a sota, but they can't drink. Anytime there's a sota, you can't drink. Correct. Anytime you're a, a sota because you, you were warned and secluded, but you can't drink, then marriage is ended. you got to get divorced. So the point is, if the husband is blind, she doesn't drink, so too... So so too, if she if he's not blind, but she's blind, she also doesn't drink. That's halacha number one. Halacha number two, Ravashi Yomer, If the woman is lame or um or her she's missing a hand, like so she can't walk, or if she's missing a hand, the halacha is she doesn't drink. Why? Go on the next page. Because the Pasuk says that she's standing. If she can't stand on her own without like crutches, without a cane, she physically can't stand, she doesn't drink. And the Pasuk says that you put the mincha on her hands. If she doesn't have a hands, then she doesn't drink. So if she's missing a hand, or if she's lame in her legs, she doesn't drink. It's a technicality. So too, if the husband, let's say she has hands, but if the husband's missing a hand, she doesn't drink. Or if she's fine, her legs are fine, but if his legs are not fine, she also doesn't drink. And the last one is just like if the woman is mute, she can't drink because the Pasuk says that the woman has to be able to answer Amen. So too, if, if he can't speak, she also doesn't drink. Oh, no, no. I would assume that it's all Talion at the time. As I would assume. Correct. I, I would assume. So that was the end of the fourth parak, and now we're moving on to the fifth parak. This is a long mission. We'll do the mission today, and then we'll stop. Mission says like this: Kashem Shamai is a very interesting concept. She drinks the water, and if she commits adultery, she dies. But what a lot of people don't know is that if the guy who committed she she just dies like her stomach just gets swollen and 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 her thighs like distend like she doesn't like it's not like you know like it's not like a cartoon where. You know, but uh, she dies. Uh, it's a grotesque death. But what a lot of people don't know is that if she dies, the adulterer, wherever he is, also dies. He also has the stomach. Like he could just be eating a meal with his family, and then at the exact same time, he'll just like a movie. Same problem. Just like the waters test her, and if she's guilty, she dies. So to the waters also kill him, even though he didn't drink and he's not in the basement, still kills him. Shenemar ubo ubo, the extra the extra vav. It says ubo amayim, and the waters come. The extra vav is to include someone else, to include the adulterer. We also had this many times that just like the she's usher to her husband, she's also usher to the adulterer. Meaning, if let's say she commits a woman commits adultery, she's never allowed to marry that guy. Halachically, she's never allowed to marry. That's the halach. What's the source? Because it says, v'nitma, v'nitma, the extra vav. Nitma means she's also to her husband. The extra vav is she's also to the adulterer. Shenemar nitma, v'nitma. That's Rav Akiva's opinion. Rav Akiva's darshaning from the vav. Rav Yeshua says, no. 
This is uh, there was the same opinion of Zechariah ben Akatsev, but Rabbi Oimer, Rabbi says, no, it's not from the extra vav, it's from the extra word. It says v'nitzma twice. So everyone agrees to the same opinion that the husband and the adulterer are also. The question is, is it from the extra word or from the extra vav? And the Gemara will elaborate. Now, I'll explain what the Mepharshim it's not for now, it's a whole Misa, my father's, I'm sure if, if he likes the story, we've definitely talked about the story in the past, it's a sugi in the third parak of Brachis, that there was Rav Lezer, that Rav, Lezer, Rav, Rav Gamliel was the Nasi and he was very harsh, he was from Beishamai and he was removed from his post because he had a machleikas of the Rav Yeshua and they appointed Rav Lezer ben Azariah, that was when he became grey, I'm like Shivam Shanam, like 70 years old, he was actually 18 at the time. Basically, Rav Gamliel was removed from his post, but then they had Rachmanis, they wanted to reinstate him. The problem is, you had Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua, Rav Yezim and Azari, you can't have two Nesim. So the Gemara said, well, you can't split it between the month. So how are you going to split it, two and two? It's not fair. Rav Gamliel's been the Nasi for like 50 years. His family's from the Nasi. You just replaced Rav Elizabeth Azariah last week. It shouldn't be two and two. So it was three and one. Three Shabbosim out of the week, Three weeks out of the month, Rav Gamliel was a Nasi. One week out of the month, Rav Elizabeth Azai. But the Gemara tells us that the day that they removed Rav Gamliel, I think it was 2,000 students, 2,000 benches of students came to the base Medrash. Because Rav Gamliel's shita, because he was a Beishamai guy, he was a, his shita was that you cannot come to learn unless you're honest through and through. Like He would not be into students that are like more Kiravi style. So therefore, a lot of students didn't come to the base Medrash because it was a very harsh environment. Rav Elezer ben Azariah was more of a base Hillel student, and therefore he was more welcoming. So the day that Rav Gamliel was removed, Rav Elezer ben Azariah, a lot of students came. The Gemara says that day the entire Masechus Idias was taught, and a lot of times in Mishnayis you'll have the word boy bayoyim. That day, the following drasha, it's the day of the removal of Rav Gamliel. So the Gemara, so the Bartanura says this previous machlokes between where Rav Gamliel darshaned that the extra vav proves that the adulterer is aser, that was darshan on that day. So now that we mention that day's drushes, we're going to mention four more drushes that are completely unrelated to Mesecha Sota at all. But because it was darshan that day, it might as well be mentioned. So, boy, boy, I'm darshan of Akiva, of Akiva. Oh, yeah, that's it. So, boy, boy, I'm darshan of Akiva. So, Akiva made the following drushan. Here's the halacha. I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, but... The halacha is that when something is tameh and it touches something, it always goes down a step, right? The dead body is an aviavosatoma, you touch it, you're an avatoma, you touch a piece of bread, that bread is a rishon, <laughs> that bread touches something else, sheni, shlishi, revi. That's, that's how it goes. Now the halacha is, shlishi don't exist regarding uh, non-truma, meaning if I have a piece of bread, I'm not a coin, so all my food is not truma, I have a piece of bread that's a sheni, so it's a second level tuma, and then it touches a, a, a carrot, which is the, the carrot will be tahar because sheni does not create a shlishi outside of truma. If that carrot is truma, disqualified. Not truma, it's fine. That's the halacha. There's one exception to that rule, and that's kli um, cheres, if you have an earthenware vessel with a dead lizard in it. The halacha is a sheretz, which I call lizard, whatever, a sheretz, whatever shorts them are, a dead rat, lizard, whatever they are. So the halacha is that if they enter an oven, an earthenware oven, the Pasuk says that if they enter the airspace, merely the airspace, they don't even touch anything, the airspace becomes a rishon, 
So they are the avatoma. The dead lizard is the av. The airspace it contaminates the earthenware oven. The earthenware oven is now a rishon. If there is bread in the oven, the bread becomes a sheni. That's what the pasuk says. Okay. It says the Gemara like this. Ravakiv made the following drasha on that day. Again, if you have an earthenware oven that a sheretz enters it, everything in that oven, all the bread in that oven, yitma shall contaminate. So he, he noticed, it doesn't say tame, it says yitma shall contaminate. So think about it. The lizard is an avatama. It contaminates the earthenware, which is now a rishon which the Pasuk says contaminates the bread, which is now a sheni, and the bread yitma, the bread shall contaminate something else, meaning the bread is able to make a shlishi. It's the only source in the Torah that you could have a shlishi for tumah, outside of truma. That's Rav Akiva Darshan, that normally a shlishi only exists regarding truma, but in this case you have a shlishi, because it says the bread shall contaminate, so the bread's a sheni and it shall contaminate others, so that means that it's creating a shlishi outside of the context of truma. Well, you're not, it, it, it's more complicated than that because a bread can't contaminate a person. It just means the bread's a shlishi, so it means if it touches something else it can make a ravii conceptually. But yeah, but it just means the bread is a shlishi. That was Rav Akiva's drasha, because it doesn't say tame, it doesn't say the bread is contaminated, it says yitma shall contaminate others. So if the bread's a shani, you'll be able to spread it to become a shlishi. The bread's a shani, so the thing would touch would be a shlishi. Correct, correct. So the bread touches a carrot, the carrot's a shlishi. Now the reason why that was... Well, for kachim you can make a ravi. But yes, most cases the shlishi stops. Now the Gemara, the Mishnah says, that's a source that you could have limit al kikar sheni that teaches you that if you have a loaf of bread that's a sheni, shemitam is a shlishi, it creates a shlishi. This is the source of a shlishi being tame. Now this was a revolutionary concept because there had not been any source up to this drasha of creating a shlishi. Even, by the way, even the concept that you could have a shlishi for truma was not a pasuk, it's a kavachomer. This is a clear pasuk of a shlishi. That was Rav Akiva's drasha. So says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, Amir Rav Yeshua, Rav Yeshua said, Rav Yeshua was Rav Akiva's Rebbe. He said to Rav Akiva, Mi yegola offer meinach Rav Yechem Zaka. Oh, I wish Rav Yechem Zaka was alive to see this. Why? Rav Yechemen Zakai was worried he would say that there's going to be a day where the Jewish people will be so not involved in Tumah, they won't care about Tumah, that a Shlishi they'll eat for Truma. Meaning Rav Yechemen Zakai was afraid that even for Truma, which everyone agrees is a Shlishi, no one will keep at some point because there's no source in the Torah. It's a Kavachaymer. And he was like, oh, there's going to be a day where Jews won't even care about Kavachaymers. And Rav Yeshua said, I wish he was alive now to see that not only are we Machmed on Shlishi, but we actually have a Pasuk for it outside of Truma. So I wish Rav Yechemen was alive to see this. Okay, that's the first Halacha. That was the first Drasha Rav Akiva. Another one. Rav Akiva made another Drasha. Now this is a very, very famous teaching of Rav Akiva. It's Megea, Mesecha Shabbos. And that is, there's a concept called Tchum Shabbos, which means you're not allowed to travel outside of the city 2,000 Amas. 
You're not allowed to walk outside of the city limits 2,000 amas. It's about 2,000 amas, about 3,000 feet, a half a mile. You're not allowed to walk a half a mile outside of the city limits. Again, in New York, it's not a gay because the city limits continue all the way to like Muncie. But when you're in New Hampshire, we were in New Hampshire, they have, they have a, there's a Bezdin in Lakewood that they're, uh, that they're experts in Tchum. And when we go to New Hampshire, there's a sign up that literally shows a red circle of you shall not walk here on Shabbos because there's, there's, a, there's 100 houses, so that's the city, and you can't go a half a mile past that. So that's called Chum. Now, yeah? No, so it's either, well, I, I mean, the reason would the reason would be like any other thing of Shabbos, but uh, it could be that you should, Shabbos, I mean, the simple reason I saw, I think, from the Shlo is that Shabbos, you're supposed to be happy with where you have everything you, where you need here. You don't need to travel. You don't need to go anywhere. There's no. But also, it's a, it's exerting yourself. Now, the question is: Is it rabbinic or is it biblical? Rav Akiva darshan that it's biblical. Rav Akiva felt that it's biblically forbidden to do this, even though it's not one of the thirty-nine malachos. What's the source? This pasuk. The pasuk says like this: The halacha is that the Jewish people had to give cities to the Levim because they didn't have their own uh, inheritance in Israel. So every shevet had to give. They had to give certain cities to the Levium. Now, outside, the Pasuk says, there's two Pesukim regarding giving the cities to the Levium. One Pasuk says you should give the city, and then outside of the city you should give them a thousand Amas. And then another Pasuk says you should give them two thousand Amas. So how do you reconcile? Is it one thousand, or is it two thousand? So it says, Rav Akiva, You should give outside of the city for the Levium two thousand Amas. That's one Pasuk. The Pasuk says, You should give them 1,000. So is it 1,000? Or is it 2,000? What should you give the Levim? So it says, Rav Akiva, It can't be one because it's two. And it can't be two because it's one. So what's the explanation? So it says, Rav Akiva, You know what it means? You give the Levim 1,000 Amas. That's their, in addition to giving them a city, you have to give them 1,000 Amas to work with outside. So what's the significance of 2,000 Amas? The significance of 2,000 Amas is not regarding the Levim cities at all. It's telling you the laws of Shabbos. You should know as an aside, when it comes to Shabbos, there's a 2,000 Amas city, uh, city limit. So it's not regarding the Levim. It's, this is the source of Tchum Shabbos. Alpayim Amas Tchum Shabbos. That's Rav Akiva's opinion, because Rav Akiva's opinion is that Tchum Shabbos is biblical. However, many Tanoim feel that Tchum Shabbos is only rabbinic. So what do they do? How do they explain the Pasuk? So they explain the Pasuk very simply. The 2,000 Amas is not regarding Shabbos. It's regarding the city limits given to Levim. So wait a minute. Is it 1,000 Amas? Is it 2,000 Amas? So the answer is as follows. You have to give them 1,000 amas of open space. And 2,000 amas of fields and vineyards. Meaning, you have to give them 2,000 amas outside of the city that has trees. The problem is, if you just give them a forest outside of the city... They're not going to have any place to graze their animals. So it's 1,000 amas of open airspace and 2,000 amas of, of, it could be vineyards and trees. Yes. So that's how they explain it. That was the second drasha of Rav Akiva. Third opinion of Rav Akiva. And they said to say, meaning, what does that mean, Lamar? What does it say? What does it mean? They spoke to say, Lamar. What does Lamar teach you? You know what it means, Lamar? It means that that it was a not a miracle, whatever. That they sang Shira, they responded, Lamar. That Klal Yisrael responded the same way you do by Halal. What's Halal? You see, by Halal, what do you, the Chazan says? 
What do we all respond? He says, Meaning, we always we pick one line and we repeat it. We just repeat it. We just repeat it. We happen to add other lines, but technically, answering halal is just you repeat the same thing. So says the Gemara. The first of Rav Akiva's opinion was that when Moshe Rabbeinu said Shira, that's this is how it was. They would respond Ashira Lashem. They would respond by like halal, which is they would have their one line, and they would respond the same one line after every line of Moshe. That's Rav Akiva's opinion. But that's not the opinion of Nechemia. Nechemia says, no, you know what they did? They, they said it with him, together. First of all, they repeated after him. Mamish like saying each line. Now, uh, the Gemara will elaborate. I think there's two opinions of the Gemara. Either it means that he said a line they repeated, or they actually said it together, and it was miraculous that they all were mechaven to the exact same. But it's not them saying one line constantly. They said the exact same shira as Moshe. Again, the Gemara will elaborate. One last thing, and we'll end... Exactly. And one last line, one last thing, and we'll stop with this. Rabbi Shubin Hurkinus. Rabbi Shubin Hurkinus had his following drush, and that is, Very interesting. And the question was we know that Eov served Hashem, and he was had a lot of trials and tribulations. It's unclear if Eov was Jewish, and it's unclear whether Eov ever existed. But the question is whether Eov served God out of love or out of fear. It's actually very interesting. We know that love is a higher level than fear. So the question is, did he serve God out of love, or was it merely a lower level out of fear? So if Shuban Hurkin has said, it was out of love. Shinema, as the Pasuk says, Hey lo The Pasuk says, Hey he have said, Hashem could kill me, lo and I will wait for him. Meaning, I'm in this not just out of punishment, he could kill me, and I'm still waiting for him. The problem is, but it's still unclear why. The Pasuk actually says, Hashem shall kill me. It's actually spelled in Tanakh with an Aleph, which means, I'm not waiting. Meaning, I'll serve God, but if he's going to kill me, I'm out. But the question is, do you read it as with an Aleph, or do you darshan it with a Vav? There are times in Tanakh that it's written Aleph, which means no, but it's actually understood as with a Vav, which means Yes, for him. So the Pasuk says that Eov said, even if God were to kill me, I'm still waiting for him. Do you read it with a Vav as in I'm still waiting for him? Or with a, with an Aleph, he could kill me, I'm out. And there's obviously a very big difference of are you willing to serve God even in the face of death or are you out in the face of death? So because it's unclear, how do I know? The Pasuk says about Eov, he says, until I die, Ad Egva, my tamimas, my serving Hashem completely, shall not stop. So that's how you know that Eov served God out of love. Rav Yeshua said, upon hearing this, I wish Rav Yeshua was here, not because he would agree, but because he would love to hear a dissenting view, because that's not what Rav Yeshua held. Because Rav Yeshua used the darshan that he served God out of fear. Because the Pasuk says about Eov that he was he feared God, which implies that he was a lower level, which is fear. 
And Rabbi Yeshua ben Hurkanis, who is a Talmud of a Talmud, who is a Talmud of Rabbi Kiva, who is a Talmud of Rabbi Yechem So he's darshaning that it's out of love. So I wish Rabbi Yechem was that he was here because he would he would be able to have this. They would have it out about whether he have served out of fear or out of love. I will stop here. Pick it up tomorrow, Hashem.